going to be out. Straight down his throat. Oh, he's dropped it. Hello and welcome back to episode 7 of the Scouting Cricket Podcast. Uh, Today I'm joined by strategy and player recruitment analyst working at both Leicestershire and Birmingham Phoenix, Dan Weston. Dan, how are you? I'm good, Ronan. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for coming on. It's been a busy day of cricket on the day of recording. Just finished day one of India-England. There's the uh, West Indies Sri Lanka game that was action packed with six sixes and an over and a hat trick, and also the PSL was unfortunately postponed uh, today as well, which was a tournament I was quite enjoying watching. So, how much cricket have you been keeping up with lately? Were you enjoying all three of those those different tournaments? Yeah, yeah, I try and watch as much as I can. Really, um, PSL I've watched most matches on. Um, so, I mean, I guess from my personal perspective, I'm a little bit more T20 focused than longer formats, although I've still got like plenty of like record data and stuff and we'll use it as and when I'm needed. I just, there's more commercial application generally for T20. So tend to watch that more. And uh, obviously in the subject, you know, scouting cricket, looking at young players, it's always super interesting to see these young players coming through in franchise leagues and keeping an eye on them as well. Yeah. So obviously we your side of things, just to kind of kick things off, I suppose we'll start from the beginning, really, and it came from uh, one of our listeners' questions as well. Um, Archie Wee01 asked, how did you get into your field of work, which was another question I was going to touch on myself anyway. So obviously it's quite an interesting role that you've got at both Leicestershire and Birmingham. So how did that all kind of kick off for you? Yeah, okay, so I could probably, like, do a whole podcast on on all this on that that subject separately really uh but yeah i've always been really interested in all sports really so be it football cricket tennis whatever kind of got to a stage when i wasn't ever gonna be any good enough to to do it to do anything more than you know be a massive fan and play a bit like local leagues of football and cricket and stuff like that um so yeah uh loved sports from about the age of about eight or nine I loved like just looking at cricket numbers and averages in the local, you know, the national newspapers and the supplements and stuff like that. Going through all the scorecards every day because, but you know, I'm 41 now. But you know, when I was like, you know, younger, at school, you know, school ages, they, all the newspapers used to have the full scorecards in every day and stuff for the county cricket. So uh, always, always keeping up to date on that. I used to try and. Yeah, simulate matches and stuff even when I was a kid I've always been like really into like maths and numbers and stuff as well as sports so kind of just became a bit of a you know turn full circle in the end into kind of a career as well which is really <laughs> nice um from from after after school I went to university done accounting degree so it was kind of again maths orientated uh I did a lot of other stuff since then um but and I actually genuinely think that like stuff like playing online poker full time has was a real benefit for me in terms of understanding like a lot of different nuances that are involved in my current roles, for example. So with online poker, I um, witnessed the journey from an extremely inefficient industry into a super efficient industry. So when I first started, like there was just 
there's more bad players than there are good. Like you could, you could play like strictly like ABC, no, no, like um, meta game or anything like that. It was you could just play completely straightforward, simple style, tight, aggressive, whatever, and you would end up being a winning player over like a long, the long run. Then, as people realised that you know there was a lot more sort of strategy that you could apply to it, numbers, game theory, stuff like that. It ended up being really, really efficient and kind of, I wouldn't say it was quite a zero-sum game, but there's probably at the high stakes, it's probably not that far from that now. Um, so even like at the lower stakes these days, like you'll have like, say, like a six-max table, you'll have four players who are extremely competent and there's maybe like you're fighting to get the money off one bad player mm-hmm. um so it's got a lot more efficient and i think that the kind of parallel from that to towards like cricket for example is at the moment i perceive cricket to be like how poker was when i first started yeah. in terms of being extremely inefficient and very exploitable in terms of strategy and uh, and being a disruptor in the industry uh, and yeah, that, and that's that's something that I find is has really kind of gives me an edge over over you know other teams and stuff with what I do. So so that that that's something that maybe maybe that will carry on for a long time. I I personally think it probably will because uh, teams are very very slow at adopting yeah more more smart strategies, and there's still that that reticence to trust people who haven't played professional cricket to some extent and and there's still a huge over-reliance in franchise cricket in particular on on high-profile ex-players who may or may not be good coaches or good you know understand the dynamics of t20 as a specific format and stuff so yeah there's from from that background i found it it's super useful even going back to poker again talking about like if you're playing against good players you can't just play straightforward abc that you could against a bad player mm-hmm. you've got to mix it up you've got to sometimes you've got to deliberately make a bad play so that they think you're going to make that bad play again in the future when obviously you're not going to so you're you've got to understand your opponent and i think that that's a lot of parallels of cricket again in terms of the matchup scenarios that, that a lot of people talk about, you know, in, especially in T20, is you've got to understand your opponent. You've got you've got to say what's his strengths, what's his weaknesses. How do we combat those those strengths? How do we exploit those weaknesses? And and on all of those kind of factors, uh, uh, areas that I've brought in from poker into my kind of cricket armory, if you like, in terms of strategy. Um, so yeah, started. Uh, offering services to cricket teams about four years ago. But like I said, I could do a whole podcast on my experiences of the industry alone. Um, uh, It's funny because like when I first started offering teams data to help like processes, understand player values and stuff like that, I felt like I was trying to push and push through like pretty much what seemed like a locked door. Uh, most people in the game wouldn't even reply to like a contact message from me, for example. Like it was extremely difficult. Like I can remember days when I like used to send like a lot of messages to people who are coaches, owners, directors of cricket, players, 
whatever, just to try and get a foothold in the industry. Yeah. And I would say probably 95% of them will be ignored. And of the 5% that you get a reply from, almost all of them will be like, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. So that, and that that's not fun at all, obviously, especially when you feel like you can add a lot of value to the, these teams' processes yeah. and improve their team and their strategies and stuff like that. And, you know, didn't have to cost them the earth, particularly at that stage as well. You know, I just wanted to fit in the door. That was, that was all I wanted. And a few teams, I ended up getting a couple of contacts and I, I gave pretty detailed presentations at, at, at quite a few English counties, for example, in an attempt to get roles. But eventually kind of just got to a stage where they would only use my work as like a kind of cheap freelancer, if you like. Uh, no one would really kind of commit their budget to give me the chance to work full time for them. So I never really felt part of a team or anything like that. And yeah, that that's um, that was pretty frustrating because actually when I was doing freelance work for people, I felt like my track record was pretty good in terms of talent ID. I certainly feel I feel that the teams benefited a lot from my recommendations that I gave them. Be it whether they were asking me my my opinion on who to sign or or whether they wanted clarification or whether a deal was going to be a good deal or a bad deal. Sometimes I might have turned around to the team and said, you know what, right, he's a good player, but he's not for you because you've got players in his position already, or mm. I'm worried about him because I think he might be on a downward curve in terms of like age-related decline, stuff like that. So that was that was a real problem for me in terms of, of getting getting a, a full-time job in cricket, if you like. And, I mean, it's interesting because I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I heard a story about the Brazilian Ronaldo, you know, the R9 striker, yeah. and how when he was like a really young young player coming through trying to trying to get get a full-time contract or whatever, he he was trying to get a deal like a major team in Brazil and they wouldn't even pay like him to get a bus to training. But a few years later, he was one of the best players in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And the story from that is is that he kind of used that difficult start as motivation to prove people wrong. And I feel like I'm in a posi- similar position in cricket. You know, there's there's people like in, in cricket who I have to be pretty grateful for in terms of getting to know them and then believing in me. So Craig at Birmingham, uh, the GM at Birmingham Phoenix is, is a good example. So him, Paul Nixon, Sean Jarvis at Leicestershire, they all took chances on someone who never had worked full time in professional cricket before, and I and I've got to be grateful for that because, like these people, I promise you, they're few and far between. Yeah. Um. Uh. And you know, a bit like a young player getting their debut from a certain coach, you never forget the people who gave you that first opportunity. You know, and for me, it brings loyalty, desire to work twice as hard really to prove the people wrong who kind of blanked you or tried to get something for nothing out of you in the past um yeah there's plenty of them uh so i guess maybe if i didn't have those difficulties breaking into the industry then i wouldn't have been working as hard now to be a success so maybe i've got to be grateful for these people who blanked me to start with yeah of course and also you have other things as well like a website online sports analytical advantage which has like a range of different case studies analyzing different players teams and tournaments how did that come about because obviously nine out of ten people who follow cricket probably see things on like cricket info they look at players average strike rate um you mm-hmm. know bowling economy obviously this delves so much deeper into it and 
finding yeah. different patterns into players and how obviously those strategies can can benefit teams. So how did that kick off and how do you go about even like collecting that sort of data? Because obviously it just delves so much deeper than what uh, normally comes to meet the eye. Yeah. So okay. So there's kind of a couple of sub questions or sub areas to discuss. I think in that question, um, the first area was like kind of obviously I said to you I was a fan of cricket from being a you know, young child and love working with numbers and you know I used to watch cricket a lot just as a fan and then kind of realized that the commentators and didn't really know what they're talking about in terms of they'll be like the favorite phrase that I would say is like you get it a lot from Australian commentators in particular oh he, he, he hits a long ball right what does that tell you especially when you can actually go on a, a database and find out that he hits like one in 200 balls for a six or something like that, or like 10 or 12 percent boundaries um and eventually because of that and you know i started realizing that i think before teams were making a lot of mistakes with selection recruitment strategy in in the match and stuff so i started to like build my own database and then originally you know all it has is just at that point was just like players what league they played in their numbers from each league and eventually it's kind of evolved into this like huge huge database that I've got spanning back quite a few years that I can just fine tune and filter to find the information that I, I want now and there's a lot more metrics on it that I just add over time and stuff as well so you know I can someone says to you or you know for example like I speak to Nico about players all the time and he might message me and say, oh, what do you think of him? What do you think of him? And I'll just be like, oh, da, 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 database, just reel out the numbers straight away. And so that's super useful. And these are like much more detailed metrics, they're time specific, whatever, than you would get at like cricket info or whatever, mm. you know, in terms of like career data, because career data is super flawed because um, it doesn't tell you where a player's game is at now. It tells you what their overall performance was throughout their career. So career data generally will overvalue older players who are in decline because their career data is probably better than what they're they're offering and their output is now. And obviously on the subject of young players, which, which you talk about a lot on the podcast, career data probably undervalues them a little bit because when they start, they're probably not well backed by their team. They're finding their feet at professional level. And then now their level's probably better than their career data or their recent data probably better than their career data. So career data is super flawed. And, and, you know, like what makes me laugh as well, because there's no, there's no differentiation between standard of cricket and career data on general websites either. So (laughs) classic example, division one versus division two in county championship, right? That's all first class in terms of career data, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same. Division one's a better standard than division two. Just yeah. like test cricket's a better standard than division one. So this stuff should be differentiated between, and it's not. Likewise, in South Africa, South Africa have like kind of a professional system and like a semi-pro system. The, fr- the franchise teams play four days, the other teams play three days. There's vastly different standards of, if, of cricket. So why are they all lumped in together as first class? 
because it makes no sense because you can't accurately understand a player's level because ultimately there's, there's more nuances to, that you need to apply to understand where a player is at. The same in India. You, you could have a player who plays IPL and have worse stats than a player who plays Tamil Nadu Premier League. But the difference in standard is completely different. So I think a lot of like the basic data and even the stuff that goes on the media in terms of, you know, flicks up on your TV when a player comes in or whatever, um, it's super misleading and it doesn't help the casual fan to understand how good a player is at that point in time and what their skill set is, what roles they should be playing. So I felt like I could improve that myself and then market that to teams and stuff like that. Uh, and going back to what you were saying about the website, that effectively was just a bit, it, it still remains to be the case, I think now, a bit of a loss leader. Because if I didn't have that website or a Twitter presence or anything like that, I probably wouldn't have a job. Mm. So, because no one would know who, who I am. And I realised that at times, and people have told me this at times in specific instances as well, that, that people have, I've probably given away too much and people have used what I've written for free as opposed to paying for it. You know, well, that's a very short-sighted strategy on their part, but that's their, that's their prerogative. Um, but it's... It, 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 all that free content is there for a reason. It's to try and market myself as well. So, yeah, it's taken a lot of time to do that, a lot of effort in terms of my own career development, my own learning, the time it takes to do, do articles, reports, whatever. But if I didn't do that, I wouldn't, you know, the industry's hard enough to break into as it is without having, if I didn't have that presence as well, it would be, in my opinion, completely impossible. Yeah, and it's try, I've noticed that myself. Try to find, let's say, avoiding like sort of cliche stuff that you see a lot of times from commentators and trying to dig a bit deeper into that. And if someone plays a specific shot, then sometimes you'll, as you said, hear the commentator say, "Oh, he hits a long ball." Whereas if you look further into it, you see why is he playing that shot? There's a lot more. I think you can go a lot deeper into it, which obviously is what your kind of role does as well. And obviously, as we touched on earlier with Will Leicestershire. Um, we're working at the moment. Obviously, there seems to be a really good kind of feel, but feel good factor around the club, both on and off the pitch at the moment. I think um, in the off season, and obviously there's been a lot of recruitment happening, um, planning ahead to next season as well with some new signings, all of which are young players. Which obviously <laughs> at scouting cricket myself took a liking to. Obviously with uh, Rishi Patel, 22 year old coming in from Essex. Scott Steele, who I've saw play um, 21-year-old at Durham, and Ed Barnes from Yorkshire, as well as two overseas players as well, Vian Mulder from South Africa, who's 23, and Naveen Ohak, 21-year-old uh, Afghanistan. Um, so what is the kind of... I don't know where it's best to start about those players probably from the beginning with Rishi Patel, um, with him coming in. He's obviously someone who... Is it, I suppose those type of players you're bringing in, they're kind of young, hungry, they have a point to prove, as you said, rather than those players who are dropping off towards the end of their careers? All of the, all of that, really. So uh, that's completely kind of my mindset in, in terms of trying to identify young players who have high potential, but also perhaps 
for various reasons, haven't had the best opportunities in their career so far. Perhaps they've been blocked a bit in the terms of their progress has been blocked at, at, at inverted commas, bigger teams. Um, and, you know, sometimes it is difficult for a young player to break through. Sometimes when they break through, they don't get backed in terms of, you know, by their coaches. They, 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 go, they go in on their debut or they go in for like a second or third match eventually. And if they don't perform, then they might be out of the team for the next six months. So how is that a pathway for a player to, to progress their career? It's not. Okay, so there's players that I believe, and there's other players in, in the games, or plenty of them, who I believe to have higher potential but currently aren't getting enough opportunities. And that's something that I, I really firmly believe. It's something that I've worked on a lot. I've if someone spent more time trying to profile younger players and work out their eventual ability and the future upside, then I'd like to meet them because they've done a bloody good job. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I've spent an absolute ton of time on that. So all of those players, for various reasons, are players who I think have got upside. But, and they're currently good players as well, but maybe domestically-wise, the three domestic guys perhaps haven't had you know the greatest opportunities or been used in the right roles or whatever but there's current ability and huge future potential in my opinion as well I can't really go into the specifics as to why we sign them but obviously the players that I identify as being useful for our team now but also have the potential to grow with the team and uh play at a higher level for us moving forward as hopefully we progress in the years to come as well and but you know there's there's a lot of factors that go into to signing players so I'll recommend players and but it doesn't mean to say we always get them because mm. there could be other reasons as to why that, that we don't get them and you know there's quite a lot of due diligence that we'll do at Leicestershire to, to make sure that that player is the right fit for our club moving forward. So the data is just one side of things. So this is where I think that the data can be really useful in terms of harnessing it with like video and the opinion of people in the game who have seen these players play a lot, understanding their personality. What is their personality? Do they have a drive to improve? Do they want to maximise their career? Because I'm just probably, I mean, I've, I know that this is the case because, because you, you hear about it or you see it yourself. There's players who are like 24, 25, fringe players at Test Match Ground teams, for example. And if you said to them, okay, drop, why don't you drop down the division? play regularly, you might have to take one step down to go two steps forward. But they won't want to do it because they want to leave the big team. Mm -hmm. But we don't. We wouldn't want them players anyway. We want the players who want to come to us, who, who want, have that desire to improve, to grow with the team, to have pride in the shirt, and just they, they want to work and maximise their career. So there's a lot that goes into that as well. Um, so, yeah, I, Really excited about the project of Leicestershire. I started just over six months ago, just before the start of the Red Bull season. You know, I joined like a week or two before the Lanx game, which was the first Red Bull match. And um, yeah, really excited for the new season. We've got some good new recruits. And yeah, 
this is for me this is just the start of our long journey in hopefully to be you know bring Leicestershire back up to where they belong in terms of you know they're they're the county who won the most T20 titles in England they're a successful county in the past maybe we're not we're not the biggest county because budget wise and ground wise we're probably not you know we're not test match ground or anything like that but I've been looking for this opportunity for for quite a few years because having the benefit of the benefit of freelancing at some other counties before gives me a pretty good insight into other teams processes which has kind of eventually turned out to be really useful and we might not have the best budget or the budget of some other teams but by being organized and structured with good processes and evidence-based decision making I think we should get some really nice competitive advantages over other teams so from my perspective, if we're not the best organised team in county cricket with regards to recruitment, then I failed at my job. It's for me, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And you know, I did a podcast with Sean, who's our CEO, a couple of weeks ago as well, and he mentioned about the running foxes being nimble of foot, and that's exactly what we're trying to be. We're going to try to be more nimble than our rival teams, and I think that we've got a really good base to move forward with that ultimately in the future. Yeah, there seems to be, obviously, as said before, that kind of feel good factor and around the club going forwards and another kind of thing I, I picked up on as well was I look back from one of your case studies from 2018 on the, the T20 blast and mm-hmm. one of the, the things that you commented on Leicestershire as their weaknesses was poor baseball and baseball and data taking wickets with an economy rate of 9.44 runs per over and now yeah. obviously like Ulhak and Mulder have came into the mix as well as Ed Barnes so that obviously mm-hmm. is something that looks to kind of rectify that problem moving forward and kind of improve on those areas that were previously an issue as well. So it's having to yeah. be clever with the, the recruitment as well, rather than if you see one yeah. big team, go for it, you have to be clever. We've got to identify the gaps in the group as well. So when you bring in a player, I mean, teams take different approaches to this and that's their choice. But some teams stockpile players, if you like or they bring a player in when there's two young players who play in the same role who they could give an opportunity to. But but that's kind of pointless because somewhere along the line, someone's not going to develop or someone's not going to get an opportunity. So what, what what's better is that, you know, you identify gaps in the group and then you and then you kind of fit your recruitment into those gaps. Give players that pathway to play, which is super important, I think. You know, every player in your squad, really, ideally, has got to have that, potential to play and have kind of the opportunity to have selection based on you know merit and evidence driven decisions and yeah that's 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 what I wanted so for example you mentioned about the pace bowling attack we massively improved last year with our, our bowling numbers but and there's been turnover of players since since, since that article from 2018 yeah but but yeah I mean speak about Naveen for example improving that pace bowling group he's a three-phase bowler potentially and and that's good for our planning flexibility as well so there's there's a lot to like with him and I think that he's going to really improve our pace bowling group for T20 and I think that I was quite surprised that there wasn't much interest in him at the IPL actually he made the shortlist um so, but that was a set shortlist. It was about almost three hundred players. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, 
obviously he didn't sell at auction. So, I mean, personally, in my perspective, my numbers suggest that he's probably a better bowler than some of the ones who got picked up. But obviously, you know, not always these in these leagues teams go into their recruitment with due diligence or, or every decision is like completely merit-based. I think sometimes a lot more to it than that. Yeah, and with their pace bowling as well, you touched on the improvements that were made last year as well. And our youngster that kind of stood out as well was Ben Mike, um, 22-year-old mm-hmm. all-rounder who kind yeah. of broke onto the scene last year. What, what did you make of his, his progress last year? Did he impress you as well? Yeah, so so with Ben, Ben, I think there's the potential for him to be a genuine all-rounder, which is is a really rare skill set in, in professional cricket. Um what I like about him in particular is his he doesn't value his wicket in T20. He's comes in, he's extremely prepared to tee off from ball one. He understands his role as a finisher. And that skill set I think is also very, very valuable. We saw him hit a six on the last ball for us to beat beat Yorkshire. He had a really high boundary percentage last year, and uh, that's in conjunction with a good strike rate, which high boundary percentages always are so um yeah i think there's a lot to like about him um i think probably the season coming now i think that in an ideal world the bowling would progress as well so he didn't bowl his full quota that much last year so mm-hmm. if he can kick on with the bowling as well you know be a regular four over bowler come in at say six seven depending on match situation or whatever and and tee off for us at the death i think he could be a super valuable player for us and how excited are you by the prospect of Rian Mulder, the South African all-rounder, coming across? How big an asset do you think he can be for the club? Well, I, I've followed him for like three years. So I was doing some freelance stuff for another team and I, w- I went through very thoroughly uh, the South African player pool. And suddenly I found this, like, I think he was about 18 or 19 at that point. And I was like, who is this kid? I've got to find out more about him because... His stats were unbelievable at, at such a young age. At, probably, I would say at that age, what I would go as far as to say you don't see stats like that for players of his age, and especially because he kind of skipped the semi-pro uh, level in South Africa and went straight into the full franchise level as well. So that's extra evidence that he was a good player because a lot of South African players, they, their data is quite, the career data, we go back, we talked about it earlier, I'll go back to that again. They're quite flattered by playing at the lower levels in South Africa. He didn't really do that. So I was like, wow, this kid could be the real deal. And again, rare skill set. Batter who bats in the top six, but can come on first change and, and give you really good bowling output as well. So, so for me, like, yeah, um, at Leicestershire we lost Tom Taylor last year to, to Northampton so there was a bit of a gap there for us to bring in a player with a fairly similar skill set uh, not quite the same skill set but enough of a similarity and um, yeah I'm just I'm really excited to see his progress in the future as well like long term because you know people talk about they, you know, it's, I said this in a couple of weeks ago another podcast it's quite cliched but they talk about him as like the new Jack Callis and yeah, he's certainly the closest player that South Africa yeah. got, have got to Callis since Callis played. So, you know, I just, yeah, very excited to see how he develops, you know, not just this year, but 
in the next decade as well. And another player that I saw play, being from Scotland, obviously the closest county to me is Durham. So saw a bit of Scott Steele play. And obviously he's yeah. another player who brings a lot of flexibility. I suppose he can bat more or less anywhere within the top six in the shorter format yeah. and has pretty more than useful slow left arm spin as well, which can be a pretty big threat in the shorter format. And he strikes me as a type of player who will be able to play all three formats and seems to have quite a... With, mature head on young shoulders you'd say as well and looks like someone who can really kick on he seemed like a a signing that kind of really went under under the radar I kind of expect him to sign a new deal at Durham obviously but he seems to be a really good pickup yeah he didn't go under my radar I'll say that so (laughs) um so I actually first came across Scott about three years ago when he was playing Durham second team and hadn't played a single match for the first team and again I was like who is this kid? Because the numbers were that he was pushing out at like 18 years old in the seconds were like, okay, so you got my attention. I want to follow your career because this looks like there's a lot of upside there. And again, batter who bowls. Um, I think his bowling is a little bit underrated by a lot of people. And I think that's something that we can try and benefit from. Uh, moving forward as well uh, I've got a really clear vision about how I think Scott's role will be and how he'll he'll develop for us but I can't really can't really say too much about that but I, I'm really excited about us being able to recruit him uh, um, he was one of you know one of the players that I was really really keen for us to try and get and um, I think that there, you know there's a lot of metrics that I I look at where he he rates extremely well for a player of his age, and as you say the flexibility that he brings in terms of his role and various roles that he can bring, bat, a batter who bowls in the top uh, bowling option who bats in the top six or, or you know even higher than that is is massive and uh, so useful for me for my my sort of match by match planning and it's the team the teams teams. Are, strategy and planning so yeah um, really really excited with Scott and um, I think that he can do some really big things moving forward Yeah I think I f- first saw him I think it was maybe two possibly three years ago I kind of lost track of time to be honest recently but was <laughs> 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 a Durham North Ants game in the in the blast and he opened the bat with Darcy Short and they put on a real good partnership and then I think Short and uh, steel both bold as well with useful spin in the middle over yep. which kind of strangled the game as well which is obviously something that's a massive part of the game and another thing we touched on before recording was kind of the, the different partnerships and obviously getting players in at the right time with different strengths to kind of balance out the team how important do you see that for obviously teams trying to exploit a weakness so if you can counter that by not having a weakness, basically, which is easier said than done, I suppose. But yeah, <laughs> I think that it's um, if you're in an IPL, it's quite different to county cricket in, in that type of kind of building an unexploitable team, if you like, because in the IPL you've got a max squad of twenty five players, and if you're good at recruitment you should be able to build a really balanced squad. Maybe not at mini auction, but a major auction, you definitely should be able to do that. So I'm super excited for the major auction next year because um, it'd be interesting to see who are the best 
plan teams with the best planning who has the most holes and you know uh, shameless plug here if anyone's listening and they're running an IPL team and uh, they need someone to help them with recruitment then <laughs> please feel free to get in touch <laughs> um, but um, yeah so that's very different to county cricket because in county cricket you it's unless you're like a really rich team it's very difficult to to recruit players specifically to play one format so you've got a a lot of the time you're recruiting players to play two and often three formats. And that means sometimes you've got to make compromises with your setup in T20 because you just don't have the players to cover all bases. So you have holes, but most teams have holes. Even knots have holes. They won a comp last year, but in my view, they have holes. Mm -hmm. They just have less holes than most other people. You know? So, um, yeah, it's... It's, it's very, very different. So it's very, very difficult in county cricket to be unexploitable. It's very difficult in a franchise comp with a 16-man squad to be unexploitable. But in the IPL, when you have 80 crore and a 25-player squad, it's very possible to be unexploitable. And I think Mumbai are largely pretty much there now. The other team's not even close to it. But Mumbai, I think. They're probably, I would say, if you looked at IPL, they're like the equivalent of England in ODIs. Like, they've, they've got the same template. They've got team hitters. They've got a team who... Top seven is ruthless. Um, and they've done... Very similar to England again. I've, I've talked about this before in the past. Their strategy is not a secret. It's... They've done it in complete plain sight. They're not doing anything... You know, hidden or anything like that. It's, it's completely obvious what they're doing. But people just don't want to replicate it. They're scared. Yeah. There's fear in cricket that, okay, so sometimes I think teams would rather lose by, in T20, I'm talking about, teams would rather lose by 10 or 15 runs in a close match, not taking chances because they're not going to get slaughtered in the media. But They'd rather do that than lose by 50 runs 80% of the time and win 20% of the time by going for it, which makes no sense at all, but it's like almost like a trial by media. So you, you maybe... One kind of example of that a little bit is uh, was Melbourne Renegades in, in the Big Bash. They had like a lot of heavy defeats. Yeah, it didn't work. Maybe they didn't have the players to take to carry out that strategy, but I could kind of see where they're going with it. Yeah. Especially when you've got a bonus point after 10 overs in a chase as well. You, you there was a lot of value there that teams left on the table for for not going for it before 10 overs. I think there were some really ridiculous scenarios where like teams needed like two or three runs of four balls and they just blocked them out. And I was like, <laughs> you realise just you've just lost a quarter of the points that are available yeah. for this match. <laughs> like, like, there's pretty much no scenario there where it's not okay to tee off if you took a look at like a, at a game th- from a game theory perspective. And teams didn't really do their due diligence in that comp. But yeah, you've got to have the players, but you've got to have the strategy as well. And England in ODI is one by in, in the IPL. They have the players and the strategy, so it's a very very difficult combination to beat. 
think ultimately for, for me with the teams that I work with, that's where we're going to try and end up at in the end. We're going to have the strategy and the players. But Leicestershire, obviously, you know, we made progress last year, first year, but myself and Sean were at the club. Um, and, and we made progress because, you know, we, we didn't come bottom. We actually did all right. We, we qualified. We're the only team to beat Knots in the whole comp. We tied with them in the, the knockouts as well. And that's massive progress. We can build on that. And it's not going to be a five-minute job because it never is. Recruitment never is. It's, it's often a medium and long-term project. But ideally long-term, we'll have the strategy, we'll have the players, and we'll have the processes, the successful processes yeah. that develop over time to, to get us where we want to be and achieve our ambitions. And just kind of staying on the, the topic of like auctions and, and drafts, obviously the 100 draft took place just last week. What was your kind of involvement in that like? Yeah, um, well, I was one of the one of the uh, three pl- people in the pod last year, at, uh, sorry, 29, end of 2019 now, wasn't I forgetting where we are in terms of time. <laughs> lockdown period is just, yeah, screwed all that up. Um, yeah, end of 2019, October, I think it was. Yeah, so we done, went down to Sky Studios and done that. I was in the pod with Craig and Dan Vittori because uh, Andrew McDonald couldn't make it over for, from, from his other commitments in Australia. And that was a great experience for me. And then Myself, Craig and Andrew did the draft last week together on like a Zoom call because obviously it wasn't done in the studios this year. Um, so that was that was great. We kind of we done a lot of thorough research for the, the players that we picked, and we 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 were really happy with our picks. Actually, uh, it's a lot easier to go first in the draft rather than last. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, we we we're really happy with our squad actually, um, and I think we can do some some good things next, uh, in the tournament in a few months' time. Yeah, and obviously from a perspective of the under twenty four spin and things, one thing that really stands out the Birmingham Phoenix squad is the bowling attack full of three youngsters. Stand out is Shaheen Shafridi, who I'd say is up there one of the best in the world, if not the best at the moment. Also Henry Brooks and Pat Brown in the mix as well as youngsters too backed yeah. up by like Tom Hellman and Chris Wokes so I mean yeah it's got kind of the perfect balance I suppose really in that attack you can't really fault it yeah definitely yeah, agree with you completely um, I, I mean really excited about our pace attack and I think that, that that's that's a real we've got an advantage over other teams and perhaps in that area um, age wise I've actually run the numbers on this and we're the second uh, just a just second in terms of uh average age of the squads so perhaps you might say that there's a few players in our squad as well who can really grow with the franchise long term because it's not sorry not franchise the team long term yeah. and um, uh, improve with us as well so that's really exciting as well so yeah can't wait to see how it all develops how the players develop how the competition develops how how we do as a squad this year coming moving forward as well so just, I'm delighted to be involved with with the hundred when it first got announced. Um, that was a, a real ambition of mine to 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 get a job in the hundred. So I've I've achieved that, so I'm so pleased about. And now we've got a we've done a lot of planning. We've been planning for two drafts and I haven't played a single yeah. match yet. So um, yeah, just fast forward and fast forward me to mid July so we can get on the pitch because um, 
yeah, so excited about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we spoke with batsmen before. We, one thing you look out for, especially for a kind of hitter or a finisher, is their like boundary percentage. In in terms of bowlers, what's the kind of things that stand out to yourself? Obviously, because a lot of things would normally be their wickets, average, economy rate, strike rate. Um, <clears throat> obviously, with bowlers, is it kind of the fact, like to Shaheen Shafridi, he can open the ball and bowl at the death and bowl at the most important periods of the game. And one player yeah. I picked out that did that well in the big bash was Jai Richardson. He would more or less every game open the ball and bowl at the death and bowl in the power surge. So is yeah. there any other kind of things that you look for like within a bowler of what they're hitting, certain like lengths or certain statistics that kind of grab the eye? Right. What can I say? What can't I say? Sort of <laughs> so, so with like those type of bowlers that you mentioned, like I call them two-two bowlers. So they bowl like two up front, two at the death. Um, for me, like they're they're very useful bowlers, just generally speaking, because you're going to be able to have that role clarity with them straight away, um, because you can bowl them perhaps like seventeen, nineteen, or eighteen, twenty, and I think that a lot of teams perhaps you know, various comps around the world perhaps don't necessarily have that in their squad a lot of the time. So, like, I did a lot, a lot of analysis on, I don't really want to say which team it is, but, like, one IPL team in particular. And and I actually sent them a report about after the, tour- after the tournament, I sent them a report about their squad and what I think they should do to improve. So I did, like, a, I can't remember how many pages, it was, like, a 15, 20-page report. And emailed it to a couple of people that I had the email address for at their franchise, big decision makers. I didn't get a reply, really. <laughs> um, but the point I'm trying to make is, is that one of the areas I felt that they fell down on with their planning was that they picked too many one-phase bowlers. So they picked bowlers who are they were really, really good in one phase, but they were below average in the other two phases. So that's a big problem. Because how on earth do you get four overs of positive output out of those players? Yeah. It's very, very difficult. Very, very tough. So I think maybe people, when with bowlers, pace bowlers in particular, you have to understand the, the role that you're recruiting them for in advance. You also have to understand that, just to give you IPL examples, Carl Jameson is not the same player as Chris Morris or John. I mentioned that when we were talking about that before, actually, yeah. They're, if you lump them together in terms of like an auction list, you might call like, you might call them like pace bowling all-rounders, right? But they're not. Well, they are, but they're completely different players. Jameson bowls almost 60% of his overs in the power play. Chris Morris is a deaf specialist. Richardson's a 2-2. Right, so you've got to be very careful what your skill set you want to identify in terms of picking picking a player. I saw some a lot of IPL commentary after the auction, and people are like, "Well, if we didn't get Morris, we wanted Jameson and stuff like that." They're completely different players. They are not close. Yeah, they're pace all rounders, but they're not the same players. They have different roles in their team. And I think that there's a lot more nuance to recruitment than a lot of people understand. And I think the I don't know if just from the outside looking in, I thought that 
Jameson pick was, I don't want to say, try to find the right phrase for it, not a <laughs> panic buy, but because Be the, situation, it kind of came towards that. And obviously the series with Australia at the moment, he's been pretty expensive as well. Um, but in terms of like phases of the game as well, is that something that you are able to like identify? Because I think I just saw a stat online a couple of weeks ago that just sprung my my head about I think between overs like seven to nine, Nicholas Puran is like the best hitter like within that phase. That might be completely yeah. wrong, but I'm, might I saw something yeah. similar to that anyway. So is it like if, yeah, yeah. if you're to like identify a phase of the game where like Leicestershire or whoever you're working with are you know, struggling within that phase of play, you're able to identify a player who works well within that phase to strengthen them. Is that something you kind of look at or am I kind of looking too much into it? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get where you're going with that um, completely. Um, yeah, to some extent. Um, I wouldn't say that I would look at like such a niche, small area, like over seven to nine, for yeah. example, because a lot of the time that's different players coming in at different times and different game situations and and... It's very, very difficult to compare like for like. Yeah. But, but, um, Sometimes you could be like 50 for one and then other times you could be 20 for four. Within exactly. Yeah, four, yeah. Yeah. So it's a very, very situational. And I think a, a lot, if you're going so, so, such a small gap, such a small gap of overs, um, you're limiting yourself in terms of sample size and increasing the variance that is involved in making a decision about how sustainable that is in the future how likely that is to as a condition to persist in the future um so yeah i mean i I look at phase stuff a lot but it wouldn't be so small as like seven to nine generally speaking what i might say is like hey well team x only hits six percent of boundaries in the middle overs, they strike at like 105 or 110 in the middle overs as a unit. But those middle overs are like 7 to 15 or 7 to 16. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting as well because people talk about death overs, right? And it's completely off topic, but I'll say it anyway, right? People talk about death overs. But no one really says, what's a death over? So some people call it 16 to 20. I actually think it's 17 to 20. And the reason why I think it's 17 to 20 is because you've got, if you have two, two, two lots of two, two bowlers, bowling 17, 19, and 18, 20, yeah. that's proper death bowlers. Get a lot of spinners bowling 16. That's not really a death skill set. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually fairly strong on death bowl, death overs being the last four. A lot of people disagree with me, and that's fine too. Doesn't really make a big difference, but yeah. That's just completely off topic. Yeah. Uh, I had another question that was sitting on Twitter relating to the draft as well, asking if you thought that other teams concentrated too hard on overseas top order batsmen within the draft, um, because arguably that's the, the strongest area in English domestic cricket that was sitting by um, Basti or Basti, probably butchered pronunciation, 35. Um, yeah, how did you see that? Obviously, that's. Must be someone in the, the IPL draft as well, as we said, I think before we started recording it, see no top order players were picked up because that's where teams are already strong. Um, so yeah, how, how did you kind of view that question about within the 100 draft? Yeah, I, I, I was tagged in the question as well on Twitter, so I kind of saw it in advance, made a couple of notes on it. It's a good question. Um, look, I've made no secret before on social media that 
that English cricket, I think, has massive depth of batting talent in T20. It's really difficult for me to comment specifically on other team strategies. I, I mean, we had our own that was pretty evidence-based, uh, but in my view, auctions and drafts, like, as you said in, in lead-up to the question, uh, they're pretty influenced by supply and demand generally. Um, we see this every year when there's an IPL mini auction in particular. Mini auctions are so much more volatile than the, the major auctions. You know, scarce resources in, in the mini auctions are, are extremely overpriced a lot of the time. And we saw that, obviously, with the players we talked about already in this podcast. Um, compared to a lot of the drafts worldwide, I think the 100 draft was pretty meritocratic. I think that, that maybe some players are a little bit overpriced and sometimes supply and demand dynamics influence that to some extent. Uh, sometimes not. Maybe some teams made a couple of mistakes. But on the whole, I thought the picks were pretty logical I don't think there was that many horrendous picks uh, certainly if you compare it to like other T20 leagues worldwide and or the T10 which had a interesting draft from several teams should we say and um, just another thing obviously with the, the tournament being like a completely different format um, of cricket in general how, did that have any impact or was that difficult to kind of plan or make strategies for well I think I said earlier that, you know, we had we almost had two years to prepare for it now, even, <laughs> though, even though we haven't played a single match. So, yeah, I mean, from personal perspective, I have my views on what I think is important. I've done some research in advance. I can't really say too much about what the research that I did, but uh, it's useful to some degree to look at, We've got T20, we've got T10, the hundreds not quite in the middle of it, but but some useful guides there. Um, I'm pretty sure I know that I've worked out, I think I thought about a lot of the skill sets that I think teams need in this particular competition, but there's going to be some curveballs too, right? So no one really knows how the five ball over, double, you know, bowling back to, same bowler bowling back-to-back overs is going to play out. We've never seen that before in cricket. So it's, yeah, uncharted territory, I suppose, to some extent. So that's something that's really exciting as well for the cop yeah. because, you know, I, I, you know, we spoke about, about the power surge and stuff and the bash boost and the big bash and stuff. That was, that was new, but it's particularly the... All three rules, really, in the big bash, all three new rules, but particularly the X factor and particularly the bash boost point after 10 overs. There was a lot of planning that teams could have done in advance for those particular rules. They could have nailed some strategies in advance, and I felt that they didn't do that on the whole. They left a lot of value on the table. And... You know, I saw a lot of quotes after after matches and stuff as the competition was going on and saying, well, um, we, we're still trying to get our head around the rules and stuff like that. And I'm like, mate, the, the rules were announced a month before the competition started. Mm-hmm. If I was working in that league, I can guarantee you that the people who need to have it will have a full report on the rules, the implications, potential strategy, advantages, disadvantages, stuff like that. I can guarantee you that that would have happened if I was working for a big batch team. But they didn't seem to do that. And obviously, in that big batch, I felt that there was easy ways that you could have researched how those rules were going to manifest themselves. They were a lot more predictable, I think, than bowlers bowling 
back-to-back overs in the 100. So that's an interesting dynamic that kind of, yeah, yeah. will be interesting to see as the 100 goes on. I think with it, the big bash as well, I think one thing I thought was, I didn't think teams best used the power surge. They seemed to just hold off and hold off and hold off and then the moment had gone and they had to use it when it they could have got better use if they used it like two overs previously. I was yeah. in the thought from it as well. Maybe that's like goes back to what we were saying about fear earlier. I don't people don't like doing unconventional things. Mm. I think my Twitter my Twitter profile picture says some it's a phrase and it's the most dangerous phrase in the world is we've always done it this way. And I I really believe that. And if you know sometimes it's not right to take a contrarian point of view. But you should always try and challenge that conventional wisdom. Well, I think a lot of teams don't do that. They take the easy option. They're scared of doing things differently because of the way it might look mm-hmm. and how be perceived from the outside by fans or the media or commentators. We saw that in the IPL when Rahul Tawatia got pushed up the order for Rajasthan. And I think I was like the only person on Twitter who put, and this is a good idea. Because actually his skills that kind of fitted the dynamic that that particular game situation required. It's a very high set, a six hitting percentage, about 7% in lower lower level Indian T20. Playing at Sharjah. And they needed a lot of runs very, very quickly. And they needed someone who could just go in and tie and tee off. Now, I've got a bit of stick about that at that time because I think he was something ridiculous I can't remember the exact scores but it was like he was like 10 not out 10 not out after about 20 balls <laughs> and uh, but that doesn't mean that it was a bad decision yeah just means that at that point in time it hadn't worked out you can make and this is one that I talked earlier about poker right so one of the most useful learnings that I could possibly have had from poker is that you can make good decisions and lose because of variance, because of luck, but you can make bad decisions and win. In the short term, that's very possible. In the short term, I would describe in cricket as T20 as one match, two matches, sometimes three matches. Very rarely do you see the league table lie even after, like, say, a 14. Not significant anyway. There's a couple of instances where you can quibble about it, but even after 14 match tournament. Generally, the best teams are qualified. Generally, the best teams, the worst teams haven't qualified. I think probably one outlier I here was Mumbai. I think in 2018, it was the year that they had the Netflix series. Oh, yeah, I watched and that. Their underlying, their underlying metrics were really good, but they lost a really load of tight matches, and mm-hmm. the matches they won absolutely like smashed the opposition. So their underlying metrics are really good, and they probably that's probably one example where the lead table lied a little bit. But, but and obviously, they've gone back-to-back since then, so kind of that, that kind of mean reverted for them as it probably should have done. Um, but yeah, kind of lost my train of thought a little bit there, but yeah. variance does play quite a big part in, in cricket. Um, you can make bad decisions and win. You can make good decisions and lose. And that Tawatia, obviously that example there, was like, it was incredible how it turned around. But the commentators were horrendous that day. I don't want to call them out and say who it was, but 
they were blaming him. And then they flipped it around and blamed the coaching staff. But when he went and smashed all them sixes at the end and they won, they didn't turn around and say, do you know what? Really sorry, we got that wrong. We yeah. made a really bad call. They were just like, oh, wow, this is incredible. But actually, maybe that was the right decision to start with, but it went wrong to st- wrong and in- wrong initially, and then went right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. There's a lot to it. But teams are scared of having that criticism because they've got all these ex pros in in the commentary box who have got fifty plus caps for their country, and everyone who's played cricket must know what they're talking about, right? <laughs> in terms of, you know, where I'm going with that, right? So. Yeah. Um, Actually, they may not have even played T20 and they may not have the first clue what they're talking about. But but everyone trusts them because they've got 50 or 100 cats for their country. Mm-hmm. And people are scared of their reaction. They're not... They're, 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 and that that makes teams not want to take risks. But actually, it's oftentimes taking the risk is the, the best approach, in my opinion. Yeah. Another question we had sent in was from... Uh... WTC Test Match Cricket Opinions asked, how will cricket change with increased analysis and strategies? Wow, that's an amazing question. Uh, Okay, so I think that I said earlier in the podcast that poker is, if you're comparing cricket to poker, cricket is where poker was when Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker, I think it was like 2004, 2005. And there's a lot of people coming into the industry making bad decisions and people, teams, players aren't running to maximum efficiency and not even close to that. And then there's like one or two or three smart operators who are hoovering up all the value. They're the sharks, basically, to use a poker phrase in, 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 yeah. in, the, in, in the industry. So at the moment, there's a lot of growth that I think that analytics can have in cricket. I would probably... If you ask me to say how saturated is cricket in terms of analytics, I'd say about two out of ten. Do I think that that will change? Yes. But I think a lot has to change for that to evolve. So I don't think it's going to be a quick process. Um, For a start, you have to change the way that these franchise leagues operate, in my opinion. So there has to be more of an encouragement to be more meritocratic in their decision-making. And one example I think that would change a lot is if you had huge prize money for for um, success or like a Champions League or something like that. So like a tangible reward for doing well. Because yeah. at the moment, in a lot of these T20 franchise leagues, if teams are rubbish, then they just shrug their shoulders and say, okay, well, we'll try better next year. There's no, there's no relegation. There's no, there's no sort of disincentive to be bad or anything like that. It doesn't matter really in terms of they're still getting the TV revenue, whatever. It doesn't really change much. But if you turn around to like some generic franchise T20 league and say, do you know what, right? If you qualify out of the group stages, you get 5 million. And then if you win it, you get 20. You can guarantee then there are going to be a lot of people yeah. who want to make smart decisions straight away. So that stuff's got to change. That's industry change that needs to happen. That's, and, and, and there's a lot that will need to evolve to get to that level. The same with Champions League. If, if, you, if you have, like, I know they tried it before, but to some extent, 
if you had like a Champions League of cricket, right? Maybe eight teams or 16 teams in it, right? And it was like football, where if you qualified for it, you got a load of money in terms of TV revenue, advertising revenue, merchandise, whatever, yeah? You got all that incentives, you got, you win a match, you get five million quid, like football, right? If you win a tournament, you get 100 million quid. You suddenly, everyone wants to get into that fantasy. You get coaches fired for being bad. You get, and I don't just mean bad results, I mean bad processes. Because the, there's going to be an intolerance for failure immediately. And I think all these things need to happen for to maximise efficiency moving forward in terms of analytics. Because at the moment, there's not really that much of an incentive for teams to invest in a good analytics department because unless they've got like a, a lot of pride, they really want to win, there's it's not really enough to push them to, to make yeah. that investment. But I think that will change, but it might be 10 or 20 years down the line that it will change. And that's what I said earlier, I think, that I perceive myself that I've got an edge with what I do and I don't see that changing in the near future, but we don't know what, how long the near future is. Maybe, yeah. I don't, do I see the situation being that different in a decade? 50-50. 20 years, yeah, pretty likely. But that's where you've got to, as an individual like self, I feel like you've got to have career development, you've got to evolve, you've got to treat every day as a learning day. You have to try and... And this is something that I do, we do at Leicestershire quite a lot, is we're trying to understand best practices and best processes from other industries and other sports and stuff like that. So we're getting a lot of people to come into meetings and stuff to talk to us about how they're running their business, how they're running their sports team and the different sports successfully, stuff like that. Because the, the learnings like that is so important, I think, in terms of like career development and improving yourself as an individual with what you do. And like I said earlier about all those bad experiences that I had trying to break into the industry that inspires me to get better and better and to, to try and try and maximise my output as uh, um, kind of recruitment and strategy analyst. And, you know, my aim now was to say, right, okay, in 10 or 20 years' time, this situation will change. The industry will get more saturated but I still want to be someone who I perceive to be high up in terms of progressing the industry and be at the top of the curve, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you think as well with those difficulties to break in and get your foot in the door to begin with, do you think those difficulties to start with make it even more rewarding now? No doubt about that. Yeah, 100%. And um, yeah, I, sometimes I've even thought about like printing out all of the, messages I got back and stuff and sticking them on the wall and just looking at them every day for inspiration because that's all I need because I remember who these people are mm -hmm. and when I mean, there's been times even in a short spell of time at Leicestershire where I've beaten well not I've beaten but I've helped to create a strategy which has helped the team beat someone who did that so that's really nice feeling right because you're thinking, okay, well, now, you know, we've come out, we've won the match, and this person has been basically blanked me, didn't think I offered him any value, and uh, now, yeah, we got the win. That's nice, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's massive inspiration. We Obviously, you've got the theme of the, the podcast about looking at players under the age of 24, scouting, scouting yeah. cricket, uh, and 
is such an area that I've really tried to focus on for my own career development, finding these gems, you know. I, I said earlier, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and one I heard the other day was from uh, Championship uh, Director of Football talking in, in on a podcast, and he said, we need to turn voxels into being almost a Ferrari, <laughs> right? Uh, okay, so they're taking voxels and they're trying to develop them into being like almost a Ferrari, right? And there's just there's a lot of parallels with what I'm, you know, that my my vision is and and, and what I'm trying to implement to some extent. So you know, we might be able to develop a player into a Range Rover. Some might even turn out to be a Lamborghini, right? But then some might go on a scrap heap. But if you can give players who you have a pre-identified upside for the opportunity to maximise their potential at a young age, then that's all you can do as a, as a team, right? Mm-hmm. And there's players out there who never got a fair crack of the whip. And someone, a coach once said to me, cricket's like a game of sliding doors moments. Like, you, if you don't take your chance, you could be gone. And I know that there's good players that, you know, playing like ECB Premier League level and stuff in England, but they didn't get the opportunities. And I think from, from our perspective at Leicestershire, we want to help young players maximise their potential, maximise their opportunities, maximise their career. And, yeah, I'm really excited for how that will, will look going forward and, you know, finding those young players. And, we'll, you know, Sean's talked about a lot about the vision of being the academy of cricket. And that's, you know, something that I, I completely agree with. I think it's... it's, it's it's perfect for us what we're trying to do and I'm, I'm really 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 keen to see how this this goes moving forward identifying some young players and, and uh, hopefully getting them to maximize their potential yeah it's certainly a really interesting part of the game I suppose it's a good note to to end on as well and um, so Dan thanks very much for coming on I've thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a lot about on our side of the game and obviously all the best with your work as well uh, moving forward we'll be certainly keeping a keen eye on, on Leicestershire and Birmingham in the summer as well um, hoping that they do well so where can anyone listening I'm sure they already know who you are and where you're from but where, where can they find you if they've not saw your work already yeah so you can follow me on Twitter at SA Advantage um, my website is www.sportsanalyticsadvantage.com or if you want to get in touch with me feel free to to get in touch on Twitter, you can send me an email, which is sportsanalyticsadvantage at gmail.com. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan, and really enjoyed chatting. And yeah, um, looking forward to the new season starts about a month's time, right? So yeah, yeah can't wait. It's coming quicker than what we expect. And also thanks to everyone who's tuned in listening. I appreciate all your feedback and everyone who's kind of interacting and kind of building up the page as well. It's great to see you enjoying that what we're doing at the moment and um, if you've got the time feel free to drop a comment leave us a a positive review um, on Spotify Apple um, and wherever you get your podcast so thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time